cool what's up everybody today's dev chat is by joe he's talking to us about animation in javascript so over to joe thank you cool hello everyone it seems that i'm kind of a mystery around here so for those of you who haven't met me or i haven't introduced myself my name is joe this is me eating I really like food. I like cooking and eating wherever I go. Some of my favorite South African foods so far are babuati, pop and chakalaka, and cook sisters. I really love Street Fighter. It is by far my favorite game. So if anyone wants to play, get at me. It's, yeah, favorite thing. Cool, but this is why you're here. I want to tell you why you should animate. Or if you're not a developer, why you should try to encourage animation. Or if you're on the Blueprint team, why you should try to push for it as well. So why animate in apps? It's a good question. And there are tons of reasons why you should, but I'm going to focus on three of them. The first one is attention. So when an app is loading and you see that it's loading and there's a little spinner, you know that you're waiting for something. But if there's an animation going on, you think you're being you're supposed to look at that and that you might not realize that the whole page is loading in the background. So it can keep your attention while um, network requests are made and other things happen in the background. The other is explanation. So it can be difficult to explain things with just words. So pictures help that. But pictures are also really heavy when it comes to loading, right? They make up over 50% of most pages. So you can use SVG elements and animations to help make up for that. In addition, you can explain things that would normally require a video, but are going to be way lower in size. And the other thing is interactivity. So the user can actually engage and have animation respond. So rather than it being a stiff and stale website or web app, you're helping guide the user. So this in particular um, responds to keyboard input. So you can push and have it react. So you could be like, Hadoken, Hadoken. Yeah. And yeah, so you're wondering, how can I do that? How do you do that at all? Well, on the web, you can use CSS, which is quite easy to animate. You have a property value, and then you have a selector like on hover, and you change the property value, put a transition in there, and smooth animation. But it has its limitations, which is why using JavaScript is the better way to go. So. The best way to get into it is an example. So let's say a client gives you a task. And that task is when the user clicks on the JAWS photo, they want JAWS to go and eat the pizza. So I've added a click listener on the image, and I've got the position of the pizza at the end. And so I'm going to move JAWS to that position at the very end. Whoa. So where's the animation? Something's missing there. It didn't look entertaining at all. And what we actually need are in-between images. 
Those are called tweens in, in animation. And so we need to tween from the first stage to the last stage. So just using vanilla JavaScript, we can use set interval. And maybe every half a second, we move the image over like 100 pixels till it gets to the end, and then we stop. So this is what that looks like. So not very fun at all. It's kind of like a bad internet connection, right? So we can make it a little bit better if we animate quicker. So not every half a second, but something along the lines of 60 frames per second, or what like modern video games are running at. And we're also going to tune it a bit and have it only move 20 pixels rather than 100. Cool. So we went over. It was an animation. But let's have a look at the code. Cool. So the first thing I do is I grab a reference to both the elements. I've got the image. I've got the pizza. And I add a click listener on the image. Then this is getting the position of the pizza. So I get the offset. I get the width of the shark. And I can calculate the end position. Set interval and set timeout, set timeout work in uh, milliseconds. So to get the frames per second, 60 frames per second is 1,000 divided by 60. And then here's my interval, where if I determine if the shark has passed the pizza, I want to set it at the pizza. Otherwise, I want to move it over 20 pixels. Cool. So that was a pain. That it was barely readable, and it looked irritating to do. And if you had to tweak it a bit, it might be quite difficult. So how can we make this easier? That's where tooling comes into place. So tooling, in this case, refers to JavaScript libraries that are there to aid and support you in making animations and making them easier and more rich and dynamic and complicated. And maybe the most important is performant. So they're easy to use and easy to read. And they're composable. So you can have one image where the shark moves across the one animation where the shark moves across the screen. And then the next animation, maybe the pizza shrinks down. And you can put those two together. So you can have animation after animation after animation. And the last reason why we would use tooling is because they're evolving. They get better over time. So they have more features giving you the ability to have your web apps be at the front and have things that other applications don't have. And so the library that I'm going to be talking about today is GreenSock, or GSAP for short, which is GreenSock Animation Platform. It is by far maybe the most rich in features and um, the most well-documented and um, rich in features, it's well documented, and the assistance in forums is quite fantastic. So to illustrate, the earlier animation would look something like this. You call the to method, because you're saying you want to move the shark. You pass in the actual element that you want to, which can be a reference or like a query selector, like a CSS selector, like dot jaws for a class. And then you, the second thing you pass in is an object to tell you 
to tell it what you want it to do. In this case, we're having the left value, because it's absolutely positioned, move across the screen. So it's a lot simpler and easier to read. And there are lots of competitors, like AnimeJS is one of them that's open source. But one way that Greensock kind of outshines the competition is their plugin ecosystem. So they have a baseline library, just the GSAP library, which helps you do tons of animations. But they have extra plugins if you want extra features that you can add and make your load a little bit heavier. So one of their newest plugins is Scroll Trigger. Cool, so scroll trigger tracks the user's scroll. So if you have a look at the plane, the plane moves forward and back as I scroll up and down. It could be triggered on page position. You'll see Mario gets pinned to the screen. You could trigger events, function, regular function calls. It tracks velocity and direction. And it works on all devices. So it's quite performant. Cool. Another plugin they have is FLIP. So FLIP is an actual animating acronym. And it allows you to do things that you might intuitively want to do as a developer, but they just don't work. For example, if you have something in flex direction row, and you want it to go to column, those don't animate regularly. You'll get a flash from one position to the other position if you change that CSS property. But with GSAP's flip plugin, you can actually animate those transitions, which is something that's otherwise not possible. In this example, it's using CSS Grid, which is another instance where CSS doesn't animate from one position to another. But in this case, using the plugin, it does. And it's quite impressive because things like CSS Grid are layouts that we want to use, but then we don't get the rich animations that we would like. And another plugin is the Motion Path plugin and the Motion Path helper that comes along with it. So if you want to animate something along a path, let's say we would want the JAWS image to float along. We can, so we can define the path, the shape, and it just animates along with it. You can see that the spaceman is rotating as he moves along the curve, and that just happens along with the plugin. It's just a feature. Additionally, you don't have to continue to move back and forth between your editor, like your, Photoshop or your Adobe Illustrator or Sketch, because this is actually in the browser that you can edit the path. And when you're finished, you can copy the path itself. So it's incredibly useful for making dynamic animations. And you might be wondering, is that performance? Well, the answer is kind of. So just like all things, if you write poor code or your animations are not optimized, it can lose performance, and it can waste battery. Or you might hear your laptop heating up and the fan going wild. But just an interesting note is that the transform property and the opacity property are actually more performant with Greensock than they are with CSS native animations, which is quite impressive, meaning you should pick GSAP over the native ones. And 
you might be thinking, isn't that a limitation to only use transform and opacity throughout your entire app? And the answer is kind of. You might be surprised with what you can do with just transform or just opacity. So here's an example, and it's what do you get when you give RepoVot hair, a beard, and dank memes? Bam, repo yacht. <laughs> so this one, <laughs> this one, <laughs> this one's only using the transform property. So it's not using uh, opacity at all. It responds to the user's clicks. Um, it used transform, uh, transform translate as well as transform scale. And it also has a bounce effect, and that just comes along with GreenSock. Cool. So let's look at a tiny example. So I'd like to walk you through what maybe a production animation might look like. So the first thing we do is we load the script. We load GreenSock. And then I've also chosen to load a plugin, the Morph SVG plugin. So for those of you that don't know, SVG are these type of images that we look at that when you zoom in, it doesn't get blurry because it's drawn by calculating a or by drawing a line between two points rather than coloring little pixels, which is what a raster image is. So Morph SVG plugin allows us to change any SVG shape into another shape. So in this instance, when I click on the logo, bam, I get Z. So it's that easy, and it doesn't take much work at all. So I'll walk you through how it works. The first thing we do is we make sure uh, all the assets are loaded. So we add a load listener on the window, and then we're ready to go. You'll notice I call this GSAP method register plugin. I might not need it in this case, because I'm not using a compiler like Webpack that, um, yeah, that might cut off unused code, but it's to help with tree shaking. Again, not very important in this case, but it's good to know about when you move to production. And then the most important feature is the timeline feature. This allows you to do exactly what it sounds like you can do. You can build a timeline of the animations. You can have the shark move to the side and then spin around 20 times and disappear. And that can be three separate animations, and you can control the speed and direction that it moves in. So here, I call the GSAP timeline method, and I can pass in some options. In this case, it's paused is true, which means it won't play the moment it loads. It'll play, in this case, when the user clicks on it. The next thing I've done is I've added a label which is exactly what it sounds like. So I've added a label called start so that GSAP understands the word start and the position that the animation's going to be in. So this will be at the very beginning of the timeline. I want it to be at zero seconds, right when you begin. So now as I continue to animate, I can refer to the word start to mean the beginning of the animation, which helps so I don't have to use 1.5 as in one and a half seconds through the animation. The next thing I'm going to show you is a typical way that you write an animation in GSAP, 
which is having a timeline inside of a timeline. They can be as deeply nested as you want, so you can have timelines and timelines and timelines and timelines. In this case, we're going to have one master timeline, and we're going to add smaller animations to it. So this is the animation that turns the logo into Z. So the, I pass it defaults as a, I give it a defaults parameter so I can make sure that when I call the function, I can give it certain information. If I want to make sure all of the animations have the same timing or of the same color, I can do that by passing it into the function. And I call a smaller timeline, which I just call TL. And it's typical to always call it TL inside of your function. That way, you know what it looks like, and it's scoped, so there's no collision with variable names. And then I call the actual animation method. So it has two animations, because there are two parts to the logo. There's the right half of the SolveTech logo and the left half. So I tell GSAP to turn the left half into Z's eye and the right half into Z's face. And I want both of those animations to start at the very beginning. Then I return the timeline. That way, when I add to the master timeline the, uh, the SolveTech to Z animation, it adds it to the master timeline. And now we can consider it as one actual animation. I give that animation a two second duration. And I tell it I want that animation to happen at the very start. It's a bit redundant in this case that I'm using the word start, even though we know it's the first animation. But as you start to move things around, it's good to know where you are. Cool. So I've added another animation that is a bit old timey, but it is a Batman transition animation. Cool. Bam, transition. Cool. So it spins Z, and it moves a new logo up and brings it back down. So I'll let you have a peek at that. It's a more complicated animation, but the actual implementation and adding it to the timeline is just the same as the uh, SolveTech to Z animation, where I add the Batman one. Excellent. So let's say I want Z to wink at the very end of the animation. So I want to add a new animation. <laughs> so I'll call it wink. I'll give it a default parameter. Cool. And I'll do the same thing that we do with all of them, which is we create a timeline. And I pass it the defaults. And at the very end of the animation, I want to return the timeline. And now we kind of know where we can start. Cool. So then right in the middle of it, we'll actually put our animations. But first, we need to set the position of the animation. So with Z's eye, we need to let it know where the center of his eye is. So we can call a method on GSAP, which is also on each instance of the timeline, called set, which does, as you would imagine, sets the position 
without animating. So I want to say that the solve tech I has a transform origin of 50, 50, which means in the center of it. And after that, I can now animate the eye and comfortably know that it's in the position we want it on the screen. So I called a two method, and I'm animating that same element, or path in this case. It is an element. And in this case, I want to scale the y, so the height. I want to bring the height down, which is on a scale of 0 to 1, 1 being 100% where it began. Cool. So I want it to go down to 0. His eye will close, hopefully, and then go back up to one where it came. So we'll check it out. He morphs. He spins. We get the logo. And then no wink. Well, that's good. We haven't added it to the master timeline. So it exists, but it doesn't exist on the timeline that we're playing when we click. So we want to wink. And we want to say the duration is like 0.1, so super fast. And we want to call that wink. So he morphs, he spins, and then dope, he winks. OK. So you'll also notice that as we go and as I made a mistake and had to redo it, that I had to watch the entire animation, which can be tough if it's quite long, especially like when it gets really long. So one of the nice features is that when I added this label called wink, I can then tell GSAP to not play the whole timeline, but to just play from the wink. So now I click on it, bam, he winks. But he only winks one time. And maybe just like other things where a user can pass in information, so you want customized information that maybe the developer doesn't know about ahead of time, we can do that because we're using a function to create our animations. So we can say the wink count, which will default to 0. And that will be our the number of times that z winks. Cool. And then we'll pass that number, let's say 50. So, and then when we click on it, oh, thank you. So, cool. So, he winks a ton of times. And it allows you to do things that um, maybe you probably wouldn't be able to do if you had to build the timeline from scratch, because we're allowed to pass information into our function, and it's isolated. And yeah, we can even do things like, let's say the wink was too fast, and you really want to slow it down to see exactly what's happening in the background. So. All of the methods 
on GSAP and the timelines are chainable. So when we play it, we also want to scale the time and we want to see it in like slow motion. Bam. So super slow wink, pretty fantastic. And then let's say Z gets a little scared. He sees information that he's never seen before, really understands. Cool. And yeah, so today I hope you found that GSAP is easy and accessible, that animation is worth it and not that difficult, and that you should encourage developers and developers yourselves, you should animate. Thank you. Cool. Fielding questions. Yes. So for GSAP to know um, which element to kind of like wink mm -hmm. um, in your CSV, wherever you're, I mean CVG, wherever you're creating it, do you have to say that this particular element is dot solve dot i, or how does it know what it should be controlling? Excellent. Great question. So the question was. When I had when I used GSAP to select the I and I used dot sov dot eye, I was actually using class names because under the hood, GSAP uses query selector. So if you want to use a CS selector, CSS selector, you can use it just as you would to get a normal instance to an element. You can pass in uh, like a known instance. So if you grab it with query selector and it's now a variable, you can pass that into GSAP. Or you can use what I did, which is class names. I like class names. I like using class names on everything. Because if you suddenly want to duplicate your information with IDs, you've now got to go back and do it all again. And you can chain class names. So it can refer to the right side of the logo. But you can also have the right side of the face, something like that. Uh, yeah, I've got a question. Uh, cool. Yeah, shoot. Uh, so obviously you uh, chatted about GSAP in this um, in this chat, but I mean, do you think there's uh, if if someone was just getting started with with animating stuff in JavaScript, would uh, GSAP be the library that you recommend, or do you think there's other ones out there that might be easier to get the hang of uh, if you were just starting out? Oh, okay. Great question. Um, actually, GSAP was the way that I learned JavaScript. So in the beginning, I didn't even know what I was copy-pasting in there. And I didn't know what an object was and why I had to use curly brackets. But it was a way that I learned, because it was fun, it was visual. In addition to that, because I was animating SVG, which actually looks like an HTML, HTML element when you uh, put it inline in your code, I was able to get a better understanding of HTML and how I can interact with the DOM. So I would say absolutely beginners can handle it, and it is a great learning tool. And in comparison to other libraries, while I'm not that familiar with them, I do know that the docs are great for GSAP, so it's good reference, and that the community behind it on the forums really don't mind fielding simple questions. And it creates this like huge database, their forums, of tons of help that has been around for years now. So Joe, I'm thinking like a client at the moment. Um, does it work on IE? Does it work on IE? Yeah, actually, I think uh, GSAP goes back to IE 8, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, good question.
Will this work the same way on React Native? Oh, okay. Will it work on React Native? That's a great question. So if you want to put it in your apps, if you want to put it in React apps or React Native apps, GSAP is an NPM module, so you can import it just like you would normally. They also, it is 23 kilobytes uh, gzipped, which if you're familiar with like the size, that's super tiny. In fact, most like landing page images, you can have the whole image in SVG, have it do crazy animations, and it will be around in time before a normal image would load. So yes, it does work with React and React Native. Um, because React kind of abstracts away from the DOM, you do have a situation where GSAP wants to interact directly with the DOM. So you have to use references to funnel it through, which you may have run into using other libraries that, react, uh, that work directly with the DOM. Any more questions? Questions online? Does anyone think that they might try it out? Cool, cool. Good? All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, cool. Thank you very much, Joe. And thank you very much, everybody. Uh, it was awesome to learn about GSAP and animation in JavaScript. Thank you.